gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we say the word church, just want to ask you a question. What comes to mind? What, what, what are the thoughts? For many people, it's a building. For many people, it's a physical facility. For many people, it's a denomination. For many people, it's a, it's a sacrament. It's a house of God. And so for many people today, the, when the, the word church means so many things. And so for the next several weeks, I want to explore from God's standpoint afresh and just have a fresh look and ask the Holy Spirit to introduce us afresh to the church. Because I do believe it is the hope of the world. I do believe that the church is the light of the world and, and is the salt of the earth. And it is God's instrument to bring change to our world. I want to go before the Lord in a word of prayer. And I want to ask the Lord to, as we introduce this series that I'm going to begin, that God would just speak to our hearts. And more importantly, that God would open our eyes. And more importantly, God would begin to cause us to see what he intended the church to be. Let's just go before the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we just come to you today in the name of Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you are the Lord of the church and that you say you will build your church and the very gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Lord, that empires and civilizations and things will come to an end. But Lord, I thank God that your church will prevail. It will overcome when nations and empires fail, we thank God that the church will still remain. Now, Lord, it's our desire as we gathered here this morning to be the church you intended us to be. I pray that the eyes of our understanding would be open. I pray that, God, you would bring fresh revelation and insight. I pray that, Father, that in the next few weeks, as we unpack what you intended the church to be, that you would just speak to our hearts collectively, that we will become the church you desire. Father, we promise to give you all the glory and all the praise. Now, Lord, today, help me to lift up Jesus, that you might draw men unto you. And all God's people said... <laughs> Amen. Amen. I, I could have titled this message, Stop Going to Church and Be the Church. It is estimated that 30 million Americans today have, they call them the duns. They're done with church. I ran into one of them this past week, a young man who grew up in the church and said, well, you know, I, I'm not in the religion. I'm just, but I'm, we're spiritual, but we're not in the religion. And and you know, you got a whole new generation. I, and I believe that the millions who have often turned away from church is not that they've turned away from church. They're just tired of going to church. And they're longing to be the church. And so I want to look at some verses of scriptures and look at what did Jesus have in mind and ask him afresh to show us what he intended the church to be. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 41 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And we're going to title this message, Rethinking the Church. 
how to become the church that Jesus intended us to be. I'm reading Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and with simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The first thing that we look at when we talk about the church, what is the church that Jesus intended is, first of all, is a people who are committed to not only Christ, but to obeying his teachings. I want you to sign it down because, you know, this is so important because how many of you know that uh, society will change, things will change, but how many of you know God's word will always be the same? And if we're going to be the church, God wants us to be, we must hold steadfast or be devoted to the words of Jesus Christ, his teachings, and the life he called us to be. Let me just say something before I begin. You know, how I many you know the church is made up of sinners who've been saved by the grace of God? Let, let, me, let me ask, uh, how, how many of you are, are sinners who've been saved by grace? Can you raise your hand right quick? Amen. So that's the majority of you. If you've not been saved this morning, you'll have opportunity to get saved. But the reality is, you know, sometimes we come to the church looking for perfection. And how many of you, we won't find it there. Because the church is made up of sinners who've been saved by grace. And we're still a work in progress. Can I have an amen? How many of you would admit that you're still a work in progress? And I want you to know, I've been saved uh, 38 years, but I'm still a work in progress uh, and God is still not finished with me yet. And so, but here, here is what unites us. Is a commitment, first of all, to follow Christ and obey his teachings. Jesus said in the Great Commission to go in all the world and make disciples. And he says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Here's where there's been a disconnect. I was recently reading about the church and said that in the American church today, we're living in a time where we see more churches and churches flourishing, and yet less and less we're seeing people who are following or doing or obeying what Jesus commands. There's become a, a real disconnect in the body of Christ because we have associated churches where we go than who we are. Look at somebody that says, church is not a building. Come on, say, say church is people who've been saved by the grace of God. Come on, who can gather together for the purpose of following Jesus. In other words, so church is not where you go, but church is who you are. 
And if we're going to be the church that God intended, we must once again recommit ourselves to learning his words and obeying his teachings. Romans 1, 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. How many thank God that the gospel and the word of God is still the source that changes lives? Everybody in here, if you've been born again, it's because you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You acted on his word and it changed your life. Anybody been changed because of the word of God? How many know it's amazing what the word of God does? And so it's, it's especially important, as I call, we're living in what I call a post-Christian society. People no longer hold to the truth or the absolutes of the Word of God in Scripture. There's a young lady, um, African-American young lady named J- Jackie Hill Perry. Anybody ever heard of Jackie Hill Perry? Yeah, she's a poet, and, and uh, she believe, moves in the spoken word. And, uh, but she comes out of a lifestyle where she struggled with same-sex attraction. And I just wanted to read one of the things she, uh, she quoted. If you can go, you could Google her or YouTube her. But this is what she said. She said... Uh, she, she shared how God changed her life and how she was born again. And a lot of people in that lifestyle that she was in asked her, you know, what, what happened? What, was, what made the difference? And uh, she says this. She, said, she states how she had to come to a place where she had to accept God's word as true, even when it contradicted how she feels. Somebody say Amen. See, we're living in a generation where so much of our society uh, are moved by how, how they feel. If it feels right, then it's right. But I mean, you know, that I want you to know we got to build our lives on something that's greater than our feelings. How I many know it's the Word of God that will never change? And if you and I are going to be the church, we must once again recommit to Christ and His teaching. Because Paul described the time that we're living in right now that when people will steer will stray away from the teachings of Christ. He says it this way. He's writing to Timothy in his last letter. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the word. That is so important. Not opinion. Not feel-good messages. Not, not pop psychology. You know, we, we have a generation that really have embraced, you know, it's amazing. I, I, my son and I was talking about this one time. I, that, I was listening to a guy. He spoke, a, 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 was the keynote speaker at the conference. And I want to tell you, he was good. But he was a motivational speaker. He shared a lot of good stuff. But in a, in a 40 or 35-minute message, he never used one scripture. He, you know, it was good stuff. And I think that if we're not careful, we can, we can want to get co- co- uh, involved in messages that make us feel good, that, that tell us how we can have our best life now. Now, listen, I'm not criticizing anybody. How we can enjoy the, this life and, and all these good things. But I want you to know the call of Jesus Christ is a call to follow him. It's a call to endure a cross. It's a call that, guess what, it won't al- you won't always like what he says. Can I have an Amen. It will confront, and I want you to know sometimes it is a call to die to ourselves, die to what we want, embrace Christ, and follow him. Can I have an amen? And again, it, it goes against some of the, what I call pop psychology or, or, or feel-good messages that are so prevalent in our society today. Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared whether the time is favorable 
or not. The King James say instant, in season and out. In other words, when, whether people enjoy it or not, can I have an amen? Listen to what he says. He goes on to say, patiently correct and rebuke. You see, listen to me. One of the things I learned, does anybody beside me, anybody like to be corrected? I don't like to be corrected. I don't like to be shown in the wrong. I don't, I, I don't like to, you know, <laughs> my wife, uh, you know, sometimes people who live with you, they, they see every flaw, every weakness and everything. Yes, they do. And sometimes you might think I'm the best thing since sliced bread, but my wife reminds me right quick <laughs> that I have a whole lot of issues I'm, God is still working on. But as much as I do not like correction, I realize that because God loves me, he brings correction in my life because I'm still a work in progress. Look at somebody and say, you're still a work in progress. And because you and I are still a work in progress, we need correction in our lives. We need people to warn us. We need people to encourage us. So Paul says, preach the word. Be prepared whether it's favorable or not. Listen, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Listen, for a time will come when they will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, but will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them with their itching ears want to hear. I want to tell you, church, if we're going to recover and be the church that Jesus intended us to be, we must once again recommit to Christ and his teaching. Jesus said, if any man come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, think of it. The world said, listen, if you want to have happy, you got to pr pursue yourself. You got to be yourself. You got to put self first. You got to be all, you know, I'm just tired of doing what everybody else wants. I'm going to do what I want, I want what self wants. But the gospel is, is completely opposite. Jesus said this, if you really want to find your life, you got to lose it. If you really want to have joy, you got to deny self. Take up your cross and follow me. Let me just tell you, I wouldn't be married today if I listened to self. I would, I would be a mess if I listened to self. Sometimes following self will get you in a ditch. Can I have an amen? But the gospel and the words of Jesus go right against the grain of our society. I was reading one guy who's writing a lot about millennials. He said, listen, many millennials, they, they're not, they, he, he goes, I'm going to read it verbatim. He says, millennials who are, were raised in the church are leaving it not because that they had, I'm sorry, not be, I'm sorry, it is because they had questions and no one would answer. People need to know it's okay to have hard questions. In other words, listen to, we got, how many of you know this gospel has the answer to every challenge, every problem, every situation you could ever experience? Can I have an amen? And what the world needs, let me just tell you, they don't need another feel-good message. They need somebody to tell them the truth of God in love. Can I have an amen? And if we're going to be the church, and so I want to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to ask you just a point, uh, in this post-truth world, have you recommitted to building your life on Christ and his teachings? One of my mentors really recently wrote a book called Back to Jesus. And uh, I gave it a copy to many of our leaders. And 
it, because it's a call back to the Jesus of the Bible. Because sometimes we can make Jesus in our own image. But I just want to ask you a question because, listen, the church is not a building. When you show up on Monday, the world is looking at you. Do you realize that you're the only Jesus that some people will ever see? When you show up to work, listen to me, you are the expression of Christ in the world. You are that chosen generation. You are that royal priesthood. You're that holy nation of people that have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light that we might show forth his praises. How many know we are the church, but we can only be the church if we commit to Christ and follow his teachings. Walking in a building don't make you your church. Joining a church don't make you a church. How many of you got to be born again? Can I have an amen? So you got to be born into the church. You got to have a, a, an experience that the old the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new person. Old things pass away and all things become new. Secondly, if you and I are going to be the church. The Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. I like the message the Bible says, and they committed themselves to life together. Say life together. In a common meal. The Greek word there is the word koinonia. Many of you may have heard me share that. The word koinonia means participation or sharing in a common interest that promotes spiritual growth. It's not just getting together, but it's coming together around Christ, to love him, to worship him, to, to fellowship with him, and to fellowship with one another, to spend time with one another. The word, the word koinonia is, is lived out, with, this is what Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples because you go to church together. By this shall all men know you're my disciples because you take communion together. By this shall all men know you, my disciples, because you say you've been born again. No, by this shall all men know you, my disciples, because you love one another. How I many you know that's one of the greatest challenges that the church faced? It's not because you belong to a political party. Do you know when, when if you look up today and you type the word church on in Google, you're going to find one billion. 490 million times it occurred. Most of the time when people think of the church, it's often in a negative connotation. Some of them think of that as far left, and some of them think it's far right, and some of them think it's the Republican Party, and some of them think it's the Democratic Party, and we have confused what it's all about. But how I many you know that it, Jesus said if you really want to show the world what the church is like, you got to have genuine love for one another. How I many you know that's not always easy? There, there are almost 28 one another's in the New Testament. I'm going to just read a few of them that Jesus commands us to live out. Because if we're going to be the church, we got to ask ourselves, do we do this? Do we practice this? Listen to what it says. In our independent world, listen to what it says in Romans 12. Depend on one another. Be devoted to one another. Wash each other's feet. Rejoice with one another. Weep with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Don't judge one another. Help us, God. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Wait on one another. 
care for one another, serve one another, be kind to one another, forgive, be compassionate, encourage, submit to one another, bear with one another, stimulate one another in love, offer hospitality to one another, confess your sins to one another, don't grumble against one another, minister gifts to one another, don't slander one another, pray for one another. Don't be puffed up against one another. Care one another's burdens. Honor one another. Instruct one another. Prefer one another. And comfort one another. Just before I go on, let me just ask, are you being the church? The church isn't a building. It's people who gather to obey Jesus. I'm going to, you know, Peter say, Lord, how many times shall I forgive? Seven times? No, he says seven times seven. Jesus was putting it to the test because if you and I are going to be the church, we got to live out this thing called love. Can I have an amen? Listen to what it says in James 3.18 in the message Bible. I have it on your handout. It says, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other. Treating each other with dignity and honor. How many of you have discovered it's not always easy? My wife and dad, we've been married 30, almost 35 years. She's still having a struggle getting along with me. <laughs> it's so good seeing you, Tamika. God bless you. I want you to know we have a challenge at loving one another. But if we're going to be the church, the bride that Jesus is returning for, he's looking for a church. That's loving one another. And by this shall all men know you, my disciples, because you have love for one another. Love is not a feeling. It's an action. Love is not per. It's a commitment that when you miss it, you're willing to confess it and, it and admit it. It's a willingness to practice all those one another's. And so before I move on, I just want to ask you the question. As we look at the church in 2018, how are you doing when it comes to Living in fellowship. The church is not isolation. It's living together. That's why Jesus said where two or three are gathered together, there I'm in the midst. How well are you doing when it comes to loving, caring, protecting, comforting, encouraging, building up, confessing your faults one another? Do you live in a community where you are, are, are you a part of a, 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 an expression where you living your life out in relationship with others because you can't be the church by yourself. I run into all kinds of people who say, well, I don't go to church because, you know, the, the, the church is in here. They, they don't, because they don't, they don't understand what the church is. The church is God's people who committed together, together with all their imperfections, with all their flaws, and committed to working together as a family. Can I have an amen? Loving one another. And Jesus said, when the world sees that, they will know we are his disciples because of our love one for another. We're going to unpack that because what I want to unpack in the next few weeks is how do we, what, what is to be our expression as a church here at New Wine? Because a lot of us gather together uh, on a Sunday morning, but do we do life together? That's why I like the message Bible. It says uh, we, were, we were meeting together, and one young lady shared how she had come to this church almost eight years before anybody ever really invited her to any kind of gathering or group. Isn't that amazing? I 
I want you to know if we're going to be the church, we have to do what James said. We have to do the hard work of getting along with each other. We got to do the radical things of opening our homes. Oh, I just, I just ran some people off. You mean to tell me I got to invite people to my house? One of the greatest expressions, if you see it in the early church, the Bible said they gathered and he broke bread. One of the greatest ways we can really practice our Christianity is just sometimes opening our homes and gathering together, inviting people over in the, in the you know, the way we do life together. Because that's where people live life out in the, re, in the, you know, when they see us living real. Can I have an amen? It's not here on Sunday. How many of you know we put on our best face on Sunday? But we find out where you really, what you really are when I show up at your house. I showed you, I told you all this story when, you know, I went to someone's house one time and I could hear it when I was walking up to the door. It was pretty loud. As I got to the door, <laughs> I heard some choice words, you know, and so, so I politely knocked and I could hear somebody come and walk up to the door. And all of a sudden it got real quiet. He said, it's the pastor, y'all, it's the pastor. <laughs> we, 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 it's amazing, huh? But church is not what goes on just in here. It's who we are behind closed doors. And God has called us to live in unity and live in community, not just on Monday, but the Bible said they met daily. You know, someone said, well, you know, I see so-and-so, they, they will hug at church, but when I see them at Walmart, they won't even speak. <laughs> oh, I just told on somebody. How can the world, or what, what, will the world be drawn to that? Can the world be drawn to people who, who have a facade? That's why the Bible says we're to love one another genuinely, authentically. You know, be keeping it real. Amen. And I'm not telling you. I mean, you know, it's not always easy. The reality, it's, it's downright difficult loving somebody, Can I, loving some people. Isn't it? Anybody ever had any hard to love people? I might, you might be one of them. I might be one <laughs> Number three, I, I, we're going to unpack that. Millennials, I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do So before I get it. I'm going to invite, you know, a group of 10 or 12 of you, and I want to hear your thoughts on how do we practice Biblical community. What, what are ways we can express and do life together so that we can reach a world for Jesus? How, how do we stay true to God's word in a world that's continually changing? But here's another one. And the Bible says, and they continue steadfastly in prayers. In other words, they were committed to being a people who pray. Say pray. I want to tell you that one of the greatest weaknesses of the American church is the lack of prayer and the lack of power. It's orators and lecturers, but I want to tell you it is not by might. It is not by power, but it's by my spirit, say the Lord. I want you to know it is the Holy Spirit that changes lives. And we need to accept the fact that we can have the best 
program. The Bible says the best laid plans of men will go astray. But I want you to know uh, God can use ignorant and unlearned people who got the power of God to change the world. Can I have an amen? When Jesus went to choose his followers, he did not go to the theological schools. He did not go to the places of, 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 of higher learning or, or the, the, the finest uh, uh, leaders of the world. He chose lowly fishermen. He chose people who realized that God, it ain't in our ability. It's not in our, it's not in our strength. As Peter said, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have I give unto you in the name of Jesus. We need people who once again know how to bring in the power of God. Can I have any men? And I want to tell you, without prayer, there's no power. You tell me your prayer life, and I'll tell you the effectiveness of your life. Because here's a reality that I know that, listen to me. Listen, we, you know, we, on, uh, if we're independent, and we feel we, we can do it ourselves, I want to tell you, we won't pray. But when we realize that, God, I can't do this. Lord, I'm totally uh, unequipped. I need you. You know, the, the, the more we rely on our abilities, our intellect, our buildings, our stuff, the less we'll pray. But they were praying, church. You read in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. I want you to know that, hear me, the reason why we see so little power in much of the church is because there's so little prayer. Acts 2.42 goes with Acts 2.43. Listen to what it says. And they continue steadfast in prayer. And this one. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I want you to know that if there's no prayer, there's no power. If we want people to once again be in awe, we got to be willing to come to the place where we say, God, we got to have you. God, we can't do this without you. Lord, unless you move, unless you change, unless you convict, unless you shake people's heart, God, it won't happen. God, we got to have you to do it. And we have gotten away from our desperate dependency on the Lord. We can't be the church because Jesus said, well, listen, we can't be the church unless we're willing to be a praying church. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. The very aroma that should flavor God's people is prayer. And I want to tell you, we, we, can, we, we can have, I can call a concert and fill this room. I can call a prayer meeting and 10, and ten will show up. Let's just be honest. Isn't that right, Pee Wee? My wife said five. I want to tell you the, the reason why. Let, let me just, I, I'm going to share what happened yesterday so you can understand the power of prayer and miracles and all. You know, we want to see miracles. We want to see the power of God. We want to see the supernatural. But it's not going to happen without prayer. Without, you know, it's in the place of prayer that God does his greatest work. It's when we realize, God, I can't do a good message and God, uh, or I preached a good sermon and everybody said it was a good word. But did anybody get changed? Did anybody get transformed? Did anybody repent of their sins? Did anybody turn to God? I want you to know that success apart from God, what God's word says is no success at all. And we are measuring success in ways that God never intended. We need to spirit see the power of God. We need to see people who know how to get a hold of God so that when they call on him, he answers. How many you know God wants to answer? 
He, he wants to move. He wants to do miracles. But he's just looking for people who will pray. That's why sometimes God has to allow us to get in desperate places. You ever got in a desperate place where you had to call on the Lord? Let me, let me tell y'all what happened yesterday. My mother was opening the can of peaches that was already expired. That's my mother. You know, she's, she's a depression baby. She, she was born in, and so she was trying to hold on to stuff. She said, <laughs> and she opened the can. She didn't have, her can opener wasn't working, so she uh, uh, tried to open it with a knife and the other thing. And I mean, she didn't just cut one hand. She cut both hands. And she got her hand stuck in the can, and it was bleeding, and she couldn't get because both hands was cut. And she was saying, I don't, she didn't know what to do. So all she started doing is calling out. She said, I was crying. I was calling out to Jesus, hollering, Jesus, God, I, God, I don't want to die like this. I don't want to die bleeding to death. <laughs> so... She managed to get her hand. Her hand was stuck in the can and it was bleeding. She managed to pull it out and what she did. So she had a cut and she was just bleeding. And uh, somehow she managed to call Amber. Amber said, Daddy, listen, we need to go see Grandma. She cut both hands. <laughs> but I want to tell you, the fire guy, we walk in the house and so we not to know what to expect. There's blood everywhere. She's got blood. But here's the, here's the reality. We get that. She said, child, y'all just don't know what my Jesus did for me. She said, oh, oh, you know why I love him so? Why I love him so? God, listen to me. I couldn't stop the bleeding. It was, listen, but look at, look at my hand. And true enough, God is my witness. We got that Apache up. And I want you to know the cuts and the wounds was almost already healed. Come on, let's thank God. For, I want you to know that's God. And she would just say, oh, but that's why I love him so. Oh, you just don't know about my Jesus. My Jesus, he's so good to me. But, you know, we need to hear. How many of you know we need to hear about miracles every day? See, listen, none of us are immune to accidents. None of us are immune to disaster. None of us are immune to crisis. But I know God is a God in the crisis. He's a God who still raised the day. He's a God who will be with us no matter what we go through. And the world, listen, God does not protect us from every storm. But he said, I'll be with you in the storm. I'll be with you in the valley. The world needs to see a God who delivers in the valley. He needs to see not just a God on the mountaintop, but a God in the valley. Can I have an amen? We're living in a world that's hurting. If we try to always have this idea, well, how you doing? I'm blessed on purpose, and I'm highly favored. I never have a problem in my world. My world is just perfect. They look at it and say, and if that's what church is, my God, please deliver me. <laughs> the church is not perfect people who never have a problem, who's always on the mountaintop. Uh, we got some like that. They have, all, you know, you've heard it say, so heavenly minded, they have no earthly good. They always talk, listen, they, they, let me, I want to tell you, the real Jesus, talking, talking about the real Jesus. He lives where you and I live. He'll come down in your valley. He'll come down right in the middle of your problem. He'll come down right in the middle of your, your situation. I want you, he'll take your mess and turn it into your message. Can I? Down in the mess. 
He won't always protect us from the mess. But he said, I'll come down in the mess, and I'll take what the devil meant for evil, and I'll turn it around and work it for your good. Anybody know that kind of Jesus? Come on, give him some praise. I want you to know, listen, we, we're living in a time where, you know, listen to I'm going to tell you where we are. We got a generation. We don't want people to know our problem. We don't want people to know we're going through it. But how, would, how can they ever know a God who deliver unless we're willing to go through it? And until we get back to, to being humble enough to acknowledge, God, listen, my marriage is a mess, but Lord, I believe you can save it. God, God, my, my children are, are, are away from you, but I believe you can save them. God, listen, I got something going on in my body, but God, I believe you're a healer. God, listen to me. I, my mind ain't working like it, but I believe your mind regulated. God, I believe that's nothing you can do. And when we're willing to be real, I didn't say perfect. When we're willing to be real and acknowledge God. See, prayer is dependence on God. Prayer is saying, God, I need you. God, listen to me. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I don't have enough reason. God, I need you to intervene. And I, know, I want you to know, God loves to intervene on our limited. Can I have an amen? Come on, give God some prayer. Anybody in here? I'm not talking about just praying on Sunday. But I'm talking about making prayer a lifestyle. The Bible says they continued continually, say continually, in prayer. If we're going to be the church, the world needs to see the awe and the wonder of God. They need to see the power of God. I've been in meetings where I've seen the most talented people, but there was no power. Yet I've seen, listen to me, you know, the, 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 there was time, you, you, isn't it amazing that when people have a dependency on God, God can use somebody that don't have no ability, no talent, yet because they got a, de a dependency on God, I want to the power of God flow through their lives. God has used some of the most uh, people that we would have least expected. That's why the Bible says, brothers, you see your calling, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God choose the foolish. See, we're so trying to be elevated, but God said, until you humble yourself, you listen, I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. See, prayer is humility. Prayer is humbling ourselves. Prayer is saying, God, I'm not good enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not able, but I need you. Anybody in you need God in their life? Anybody need, I mean, want, want, want more of him. And hear me, if we're going to experience the church the way God is, are they not did? This is a generation, listen to me, they're not, they're not, they're not influenced or they're not, they're not uh, impressed by our great bands or our, our great music ministry or our great buildings or our fine edifices. That, that's not going to impress them. They want to know, is there any power? Is there a power to deliver me from my suicide? Is there a power to deliver me from my same-sex attraction? Is there a power to deliver me from my immorality, from my pornography addiction? Is there a power to deliver me from the things I'm struggling with? Come on, I don't need just another good talk. I need some power in this place. And how many know that's prayer that brings the power of God? And the church... That Jesus intended is, first of all, a church that prays. Every generation have to have their own touch from God. I read the story of Luke Barnett, Matthew Barnett. He's the son of Tommy Barnett. Uh, many of you may have heard one of the great 
preachers of our day, uh, Phoenix First Assembly in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, he was called upon the pastor church in South in Los Angeles area and a very crime ridden area. And uh, he realized he couldn't depend on his daddy's preaching, his daddy's sermons. He tried all that. He had to get alone with God and he had to get a touch from God for himself. I want to say to every young person, you may have grown up in the church, your parents brought you to church, you saw church. You can't get to heaven on your parents' coattail. You can't live off your parents' anointing. You got to have your own touch from God. You got to have your own experience with God. You got to get a hold so that God is real to you. He's not the, he's not, he's not, uh, uh, the great granddaddy of this world. No, he is the God of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, he was the God to Abraham. He was the God to Isaac. And he was the God of Jacob. In other words, listen, God will be to whatever you need to every generation. But you got to know him for yourself. Can I amen? You got to experience him for yourself. You got to have your own relationship with God. And I want to say to this second generation or, or this young generation or this millennial generation, a lot of you grew up in church. You've been around church. That's why a lot of the nuns have turned away or they call them the duns. They're done with church because I, I can understand. I don't want to be in a place where there's no power. Show up, hear a song, hear three songs, uh, uh, take, give an offering, hear, hear a message, and go home, and nobody's changed, and no life is changed. I want you, if that's what church is about, we need to shut the doors down and go join the nightclub. Can I have an amen? The world's problem has to be something. The church is the hope of the world. The church is God's answer to the world's problem. The church, listen to me, listen, it's not just a do-good injury. It is God's answer to change lives. And when people get in the dilemma, only God can do it. I was just thinking, Friday, I, you know, was faced with the fact and I was called upon to visit one person who was Deathly ill. Get a call from another young mother who lost her third child. And I was just overwhelmed and saw my own powerlessness to do anything for them. And until we see our own powerlessness, we won't see our need for God. What do you tell a mother who's lost three children? What? I, I, I don't have the words. But how I many know God does? What do you tell somebody who's lying there and it's a hopeless situation? There's so many hopeless situations. And I want you to know it's only our dependence on God. It's only when we get to the place where we say, God, I need you. God, you have to intervene. I don't have words to say, but you do. He do. And how many know when we depend on him, God shows up? Can I have an amen? I'm almost done. Number four. The Bible says, And now all who believe were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divide them among all as everyone had need. The church that Jesus intended is a church that's committed to genuinely serving one another. First Peter 4.10 says this. 
given each of you a gift. And from this great variety of spiritual gifts, use them well to serve one another. I will ask the question earlier, how many of you have been saved by the grace of God? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Just all, have you been saved by the grace of God? Raise your hand. Then listen, just say this to me. Say, I have a gift. Come on, say, I have a gift. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, you have a gift. Listen what we've done to the church. I'm telling you, I say we because I'm just as guilty. We have made the church we could, the man of God. They even want to carry my Bible up here. Let, 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 let's come and hear the man of God. Well, I see a whole lot of men in the card my Bible. If you know God, you're a man of God too. And you a woman of God too. But we have made celebrities. Y'all hear what? We have adopted a celebrity mentality of the church. No, listen to me. We should come together to be equipped so that we can use our gifts and our talent to make a difference in our world. Can I have an amen? And if, and if you're in the church and if you're not using your gifts and your talents to serve Jesus Christ, and I want you to know then something is lacking in the church. And you're not doing your part in the church. You cannot come to church every Sunday and sit in the pew and go home and say, I'm the church. It's, it's, that's ridiculous. The worst thing in the world is to, to come to church and not be the church. Turn with me. Put, put on the screen. I didn't put on the screen 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26. Let, let, look what the early church did when it got together. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Let's read it out loud. Come on. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a song? How many? How many? Each of you has a song, has a teaching, has a tongue has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for the edification of the church. Put it on, put an NIV up there for real quick. I, I, let's give our media team, they do a great job. Come on, let's thank God for Amen. I mean, NIV, put it up there for a second. Boys, first grade, listen to what it says. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together? Say, everyone. Who is everyone? Who is everyone? So is the church the pastor? Don't say it, but we expect it. Isn't that what we, we don't say it, but we expect it. And if the pastor don't show up at your hospital room, then you're offended. And the pastor don't show up at your this thing and that, then you're offended. Listen to me. I am not the church. We are the church. You got an anointing? Listen to me. Look at somebody and say, you got an anointing. And the reality is, if you look at the early church, some, the reality is some of you might may be more anointed than I am. God hasn't given no one person all the gifts. You might have the healing that I need. You might have the word of encouragement that I need. You may have the word of wisdom that I need. And when you come to church and all you just come to do is receive and not to give, you miss out on being the church. Oh, come on, give God. You, you ought to, come on, let's say, how I many you know, that's where we, 
And so if we're going to be the church that Jesus intended, we got to stop going to church. Look at somebody and say, stop going to church. Say, be the church. Come on, tell somebody, say, stop going to church. Say, be the church. I saw an expression of that. I, I, I don't want to embarrass him, but I tell you, there's nothing. The church is at its finest when people are serving. Yesterday, you know, we had a backpack giveaway, and I want to thank uh, Blessed to be a Blessing and Paint Nails for the wonderful job they did. I tell you, one of our members, uh, I, I was just amazed at the tireless effort. Uh, Brother Alvin Ciano is just an amazing servant. Come on, let's thank God for that. Oh, don't pay. Come on, let's thank God. But you know, here's the thing about it. He wasn't frowning. He wasn't, he was smiling at it. We had our best when we're serving. We had our best. I want to tell you, because you get it, you, you make a life by what you, no, you, you heard me say, you, you make a, a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. I want to tell you, Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28, for the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served and to give his life a ransom for many. You're never more fulfilled. Hear me. Not when you're doing it for ulterior motives. Look at me. Look what I do. Because we got a whole bunch in that. that they, they want it. They want it. They're going to get in the picture. Look what I'm doing. Oh, got to put a. Y'all see, y'all see. And we got a whole generation that it's about me. God is not interested in you. God is not interested in what you, you, I want to show everybody what I'm doing. No, but when we're willing to take Jesus' approach, who's willing to serve, he didn't look for the limelight. He was willing to do things that no one else was willing to do. He took on the mind of a servant. He didn't have to have nobody to thank him. It's amazing. We got, we got a generation. If you don't tell me, if, if they might serve, but if you don't call and say thank you. Oh, Lord, they, they didn't even appreciate me. Hear me as I conclude. Are you currently using your gifts to serve? Just want to unpack that. Young millennials, I want to ask y'all, what are ways that God's going to call us to be the church collectively to serve our generation? And the Bible says, in verse 47, and they enjoy favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you. You shall be my witnesses. If we're going to be the church Jesus intended, we must recommit to telling others the good news. It's all about change lives. As I close, <clears throat> I want to say clearly, we can make you laugh. We can say things that will make you feel good. With it. But ultimately, if lives are not saved and changed, we fail to be the church. 
Jesus said he came to seek and to save those that are lost. Jesus said the good shepherd leaves the 99 and go after the one that is lost. The church is not what we do in here. It's what we do out there. And if we fail to tell others, I'm going to say it again. If you had the cure to AIDS and you didn't tell nobody, that would be criminal. Likewise, you and I have been given the greatest news in all the world. And if we fail to share with others, I want to tell you, it's the same way. We have missed the most important thing. We've failed to tell people that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the thing that changes life. Jesus said, commanded us that we're to go. And we're living in a generation that's ashamed of Jesus. We're ashamed to talk about him. We, we want to do good, but we don't want to tell people about Jesus. I want to tell you, all your good works without Jesus will amount to nothing. People need to know it's Jesus that changed lives. Can I have an amen? We're going to unpack that. We're going to unpack and say, how do we effectively as a church commit to telling others? Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Jesus, we believe the church is the hope of the world. We believe the church is the answer to what our world, our families, our our broken, sin-sick world needs. Lord, it's only the church that can heal broken hearts. It's only the church that can bring good news to the poor. It's only the church that can deliver those that are blind and bound, open the blinded eyes and set captives free. Lord, only the church can do that. You've given us the greatest responsibility in all the world. Lord, forgive us for where we've only gone to church and we've failed to be the church. This morning, Lord, as we introduce this subject of rethinking what the church is all about, I pray that, Lord, that we would sincerely, that we would sincerely reevaluate and ask ourselves, are we being the church, are we being the bride that you're coming for? Are we being what you committed us to be? I want to say to those who are out there, maybe you came today and you may have gotten a vision and saw that the church is everything other than maybe what you thought. I want you to know the only way you can be a part of the church is you got to be born again. You got to give your life to Jesus. That's what happened in my life as a young man at 18. I was a sinner. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't change my life. And I came to realize that God loved me so much that he did what I couldn't do for myself, that he died on a cross for my sins. And he said, Neil, if you will confess me and you'll give your life to me, I will save you and I'll forgive you of your sin and I'll give you a brand new life. 